All right, everybody. Welcome to episode six of the MXU video podcast. I am uh, joined by... Did you think we'd make it to six? Sorry to interrupt. I'm with Rusty. Yeah, we're we're doing good if we're doing number six. (laughs) We're here, number six, um, with my friends, uh, Rusty Anderson and Zach Kimry. Um, We are diving in. Uh, Before we kind of talk about... uh, I feel like we need nicknames. Like I just watched, I rewatched Top Gun last night. I'm sorry. I'm just like jumping all over the place. I know. I watched that sorry. on Saturday, and I'm sorry to say it, but there's three songs in it, and that's the, the over only and three over songs and in over it, again. and it just killed us. We're like, oh my god! Like, was it's it so a good right. movie? Yes, but I wasn't like, oh my god! Now we've got to go see the new one. Sorry, people. I, I need to watch it call again. Signs. Call signs. Yeah. Yeah. Think. Think on that. We'll, yeah. We'll figure that out. Okay. Well, so my uh, through this whole Top Gun thing, uh, I found out uh, this weekend, I guess, that my wife has never seen Top Gun one. She's like, "Well, I've never seen the first oh, one." Yeah, Kirsten never seen it. We watched it last night. It was her oh. first time. All right. Well, yeah, I haven't seen it in like twenty five years, I and mean, it was all yeah, the same. Yeah. It had been forever. Yeah. So, I, can I watch it? I can't remember. Can my kids watch it, or is it pretty rough? Uh, Nine eleven year old one scene that's pretty a lot of you know silhouette in your window. Okay. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah. Okay. There's some nasty tongue kissing. Yeah. Was, oh, that's what I said. That's gross. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Kim kept saying, wow, 80s, 80s <laughs> scenes right here. <laughs> that's good. Well, we can just uh, hashtag movie reviews on our podcast as well. There right? we go. So, yeah. uh, so Top Gun, that's a thing. Um, what else have you guys been up to? I feel like we are like slowly but surely redoing our entire yard. Saturday morning started off of needing to trim the holly bush and then continuously kept trimming it until it got way down and looked amazing. And then Kim was like, the trees have really grown over in front of our house and I think we should trim them. So there I was out there on the six foot ladder, top step, Kim holding a ladder (laughs) with a pair of loppers reaching as high as I could to trim the front. And then to the point that if our scissor lift finishes up on a job site today, I'm going to bring it home tomorrow because it'll fit on the driveway and the sidewalk so we can get a little bit more trimmed and see the whole house. And then we were out there yesterday afternoon uh, tilling up the front yard, the dead sections, and reseeding. Wow. <laughs> so it's been a, that's been like the last two weekends as well. I don't remember what we did at home last weekend. It's just like, I don't know, home projects are a new thing to me when you have two full days i'm gonna need you to like instagram live this uh scissor lift in your yard oh i guess that's next level yes well i'm gonna keep it on the concrete or bring home some plywood and put it on there because at least the section where it needs to go is level there's certain parts where i would definitely not try and put the scissor lift on it but it's gonna happen how do you feel the next day after a full day of yard work because i did it saturday six hours and i was trashed on sunday i'm all right this morning i was tired last night like when we finally got done, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm ready to be done. Well, mine, I'm in a consist, uh, a constant state of yard work. Did I ever tell you all my, um, so uh, undercutting your limbs, like that's a thing you got to do, right? So did I ever tell you my chainsaw and my tractor bucket story? Oh gosh. Okay. I so I was, feel like I know where this is going. So I was undercutting all my limbs and then, so I had this tractor with the bucket uh, front end loader bucket. So then I had my chainsaw and I'm like, great, I will climb into my bucket. I'll extend it. I can climb up 
and I'll be in my tractor bucket and I'll cut these limbs. Well, it's all day I was doing this because I got a lot of trees, obviously. It's the last one. And like, as you're cutting, you can kind of see the way the branch is going to fall or whatever. And um, so I got nothing behind me. I'm like in my bucket, like it's super sketch, but I'm like, I got this. And then all of a sudden the branch kind of moves and I'm like, crap. And so I reposition myself a little bit in the bucket and I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'll just push through. And I pushed through and like got all the way through and that limb all of a sudden came to my chest and pushed me backwards as the chainsaw is going. I land on the top of my tractor hood and the chainsaw, I threw the chainsaw out while I was falling backwards. And smart. And yeah, so I land there and I hear my chainsaw just rumbling in the background. (laughs) And I was like, I, that's probably one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. (laughs) Like it was, my wife comes out of the house. She's like, what just happened? And I'm like, well, let's let's not talk about it. I'm alive. I got all my limbs. So Mm -hmm. anyway, you're out there. Don't do that. Zach, don't do that. No. So yeah. Anyway. Um, I've had a couple uh, weeks off. Um, so it's been nice kind of between, between gigs. So I had a couple weeks to finish the school year with the kids and now we're starting summer. So we've had a lot of pool time. It was awesome. And as you guys know, I feel like every I time we Reddit, text, it's been golf. Yeah, a lot of golf. I mean, yeah. And my son's getting really into it. So we were, we were at the range last night. Um, he's all about it. all the time. I walk around the house and I'll see him. He'll just like pause in the middle of the kitchen and like you know do a golf swing, <laughs> like work on his form. So uh, it's super fun. But that's yeah, that's, great. that's what we've been doing. And so, Rusty, uh, you and I got to uh, do a, probably a once in a lifetime. Well, two once in a lifetime I hope things. Not. We well, we went to the PGA Championship, which was that's amazing. True. That was amazing. Uh, and then uh, Thanks, the, that's right. Shout out. And then um, a couple of days later, we went to this place in Chattanooga. I'm gonna let you talk all about it because it was awesome. So I was, I was so it's called Sweetens Cove, and I am ashamed to say I didn't really know about it until our friend Jeff Sandstrom sent us the invite to go play golf there. But the way I've described it to people since then is it's like the movie field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. It's like that kind of golf course. It's this magical setting in the valley of the, I don't know what these mountains are, you know, it's like the foothills of Tennessee. And, uh, it's just this awesome nine hole course that is so like, I think, I think that's what all of us want golf to be. It's not yeah. no country club vibes. You can show up and flip flops in a t-shirt if you want to. You take a shot of bourbon at 8.30 in the morning to kick off mm. your round with a bunch of strangers. And you just ha- go have fun. You go play golf, no rules. Just go have a bunch of fun with your friends. And, you know, there's little, like, hidden pockets of bourbon around the course if, you know, you want to partake. You don't have to. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's just the best. <laughs> and you need to come here then because the place that I go with, Wisnet, uh, is so, back in the woods. And uh, there's a little clubhouse there, but... Yeah, they don't care, and definitely 8 a.m. in the morning, you take your first drink. <laughs> Love it. So this place, though, is not like some boys who just showed up and built a course. I mean, it's like no, conditions-wise is like the nicest. It's like um, almost to a pro level uh, nice from grass, fairways, bunkers. Like The greens are amazing. Greens, yeah. Um, so it's like super, super awesome. There was one rule, and um, the – uh, the guy who was hosting us, you know, getting us started for the day, he said, there's one rule because it's 
there's somebody that requires them to have one rule. He said, so you got to keep your shirt on. And some oh, guy God. goes, well, what about your shorts? And he said, whatever you do below the waist is up to you. <laughs> he said, our, <laughs> our rule is you got to keep your shirt on. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Uh, and there's only 40 players, 40 players per day. So everybody starts and you just play as much as you want to for the day, which is awesome. So yeah, Rusty and I played a lot. We played 36 holes. That's how many I played. I don't know. If, did you get 36 uh, in? Rusty? I got a little more than that. Okay. Cool. Something like that. Maybe it's 36. I don't know. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Um, so, so yeah, I got a few yeah. projects coming up actually next week. Well, I guess when you hear this, I'll probably be in Miami for VU conference. So excited to join those guys down there in Miami. It's a first time I get to work, um, be a part of that team. So excited about that. That's cool. Yep. Zach, were y'all going to vacation or anything this summer? Yeah, actually, uh, at the, I guess the week of July 4th, July 4th, Sunday, either Sunday or Monday, that following Thursday, Kim and I are going to go on a cruise. So it's okay. been, probably seven years since we've been on one so we're going to do that and then in the fall we're going to take the boys somewhere i'm not really sure yet we're yet but uh you know now that my weekends are free uh we quite frequent kim's parents uh who put in a pool last summer so mm. uh, they live in raleigh about two and a half hours away and so that's kind of been our summer uh at least once a month we've been going up there so just uh, relaxing and getting way too sunburned. Uh, back from my uh, first career of doing summer festivals all summer and not getting burned and just tanning. Well, that uh, characteristic, my skin trait, I guess, has changed. <laughs> and now I burn. So that was, that was fun to learn. I'm still peeling from last Saturday. Mm, I hate when you take a shower after a good burn, you know, turn oh, the water yeah. on hot. And it's like, oh, anyway. Yeah. The worst. Terrible. Cool. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have a good time. Good summer. Um, we're headed to uh, Glacier National Park and a big three-week road trip with our kids in July. So, um, How are those uh, how are diesel, diesel. diesel prices looking? Yeah. Oh, I'm not even <laughs> talking about diesel prices because, yeah. I'm with you. I saw I've, for five eighty nine this morning when I dropped the boys off. Yeah. I'm, yeah. You just got to, I guess your attitude has just got to be, we're doing the trip no matter what. Yeah, just balloon the I, budget. <laughs> I keep looking at my cash flow. So at the end of the day, if I have enough cash to support the gas, we're going to go, you know, so like, and then I'll, yeah, figure out the rest. But yeah, at the end of the day, we're going to do it because it's, this, it's yeah. the plan. You know, I booked all you these places in some January. Of those, yeah, so you booked them yeah. months ago, right? Yeah. 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 And I didn't even get the best. I mean, if you really want to plan it, it's like October, November, you start booking stuff. So, um, yeah, so we're going to go. It's our kind of our season with our kids. Who knows what, as 9, 11-year-old, about to be sixth grade, fourth grade. So our summers are going to look very different, you know, yeah. middle school through high school. So, yeah, while they while my kids still think that I'm cool, we're going to go take this trip. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um. All right. Well, are we ready to jump into our, uh, now that we've, Talk for probably longer than people want to know. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> told everybody about our lives. Uh, let's jump into uh, today's topic. Um, the way I'll set it up is I have uh, spent so much time in the last 15 years um, leading teams and diving technically into infrastructure. So switchers, routers, um, audio systems, lighting systems, 
um, that I have yet to ever conquer or even start, to be honest, um, learning about lenses. And I feel very dumb when people just assume that I know lenses. So they'll start throwing out words of like 80 to 120 or whatever. I am like, cool. I kind of pretend like I know what I'm they're talking about. Um, but I am really dumb when it comes to lenses, but thankfully we have an expert. At least I hope he's an expert, uh, in Rusty Anderson. I'm going to pretend to be one for a little while here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Zach, what's your lenses situation? I mean, I'm, I am totally with you on that. Uh, lenses, I feel like can be one of the most confusing things. And the people that are good at lenses are good at lenses and it just, they can talk yeah. and like, we need to do this lens and you just, you just roll with it. It's like, you can tell when they know and you can tell when they don't know. And I'm with you. I'm in the boat of just, that's what that person said. Let's put that lens on it. I know that that's what it needs to do. If it's got an extender on it, then you get that extra length, but you're going to lose some light. So that's yep. about my extent of it. So hopefully Rusty can yeah. help us all learn a bit more. Yeah. And there's a thing where like you take a broadcast camera and you put a, um, no, sorry, you take like a um, cinematic camera and you put like a box lens on it. And there's like these conversions that happen. And then that messes with the optics or something. So uh, anyway, it's just been a big mystery to me. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm excited. I'm going to ask a lot of questions, Rusty. So um, why don't you, I, I don't know if everybody knows, but you are an expert in this area because you've, you've studied it. Um, and you've been a practitioner of lenses. Like you've been like you order lenses, you yeah. deal with camera placement, like all that kind of I stuff. I, I as hearing you guys kind of tell your, your history, it's interesting because mine can like mine diverge a little differently. So early on, I don't know, really know why, but well, I guess partly because, you know, the first 10 or so years of, you know, my experience in the last 20 years, maybe even more, more I guess the last first, first 15 years doing this, I was probably half time doing live video production and the other half doing filming, shooting and editing. And in that world, like you have to know lenses because mm. you have to decide on every shoot that you're going on, what kind of lenses you're going to bring. Um, so I was kind of forced to learn it that way. But then it, even in the live side, over time, like I just shifted more towards the directing and less towards engineering. So I spent way less time in, um, you know, rack rooms and more time in control rooms and then on, I guess on the floor trying to figure out where to put cameras, that kind of stuff. So because of that, I had to learn lenses and really, um, I don't know exactly when, but I do remember a couple of years into directing passion conference. Um, I just remember it finally clicked. I've got to learn broadcast lenses because for, for an event like that, right? Like we don't passion city church hosts the passion conference, but we don't have all that gear. We don't have enough gear to go run, do a show in a, an arena or stadium. So we have to use outside help. We hire companies that we've partnered with for over, you know, over lots of years and they bring their production truck and all their cameras and all their lenses. Um, and they, but they'll just bring like whatever you tell them to bring. So someone has to tell them what lenses to bring. Um, and so I just had to learn like, okay, when do I need a wide angle? When do I need a standard? When do I need, uh, you know, a super telephoto box lens, that kind of stuff. And, and how big of one do I need? So I think I was, yeah, I was, I was put in situations where I had to learn how to do it. Um, so over the years I've kind of gathered a good bit of knowledge about it, but yeah. 
Ask so, some questions, I guess. I don't know. How, how should yeah, we start this? I, I want to start by, um, so I hear the numbers. We have, um, you know, in, in a big box lens, it's like a 70 buy, right? And then I hear these numbers of 50 to 120. I don't know what those numbers are, but there, there's like um this like range or whatever when you look at a lens. So explain to me like, well, we have a certain buy whatever lens. What is that telling what is that telling me? So, you know. Okay. Yeah. So what you're referring to is like usually it's a millimeter. Okay. So if you hear the words like, hey, this is a 70 to 200, that means it's 70 millimeters all the way to 200 millimeters. So that's a range, a zoom range and a lens. Okay. And what that is referring to, that again, there's someone out there probably knows way more about this part of it than I do. But my understanding is that you know, lenses were all first developed under 35 millimeter film. And so that millimeter on a lens refers to about how the how the light rays are diffracted. And so if I put a 35 millimeter lens on a camera, if as long as every camera has the same sensor size or the same film size, like a 35 millimeter film, let me use a, let me use a 50 millimeter lens. We have different numbers. So if on every 35 millimeter film camera, a 50 millimeter lens will look the same, the same field of view, um, because it's that mil uh, 50 millimeters is a measurement, an optical measurement of how it's bending the light and how much of the frame uh, you'll capture. So um, it can go anywhere from like five millimeters up to a thousand. I mean, there's just, there's no really like this, you know, limit on what the range could be, but um, that's what that number is. So, and the, probably the helpful way to think about it is there's, I think for a lot of our audience, uh, definitely you have a mixture of broadcast lenses and you have cinema lenses. And I think people talk about those, especially in this millimeter conversation very differently. Um, so for broadcast lenses, a lot of times you'll hear things like 20 by or 50 by or 70 by. Um, and what they're saying when they say that is there is like if someone says it's a 70 by lens, that means there's 70x magnification. So if at its widest, it's 10 millimeters, then you would multiply 70 times 10 and you'll know that when it's zoomed all the way in, it's at 700 millimeters. So you kind of have an idea of what the range of that lens is. So same for 20 by 50 by whatever. A standard broadcast lens is somewhere in that 20 by range. That's like the base level lens that you will get if you go buy a, a, a broadcast camera kit. That's the um, that's the engineering lens or is box lens? That would be like a yeah handheld portable engineering lens. Okay, cool. Box lenses generally are more zoom and higher optical quality. The glass is nicer. There's less okay. like vignetting around the edges. It's sharper around the edges. Um, and, and they also or have more like weatherproofing for outdoor yeah. sports kind of stuff. Um. Yeah, the box lenses can go all the way up to 100 by or even more. Um, so a lot of zoom in those kind of lenses. And then there's also wide angle lenses, which um, I don't know the I don't know how much zoom there is, but there there's less. Maybe it's like a a 12 by. But what's confusing is that what whenever someone talks about a 12 by or 20 by or 30 by, they're not you don't know what that widest millimeter mm -hmm. is. So right. you can look on the side of the lens, you can see like a wide angle lens goes to like 4.3 millimeters. A standard lens that's like a 20 by handheld lens might only go to like 7.5 or 8.5 millimeters. And that doesn't sound like a big difference, 
but the difference in 7.5 and 4.5 is almost like it's almost half of it right it's almost like a 2x difference in how much mm. how wide it can be um so it, it really can be huge at you know when you're when you're talking about numbers that that small and that's what we see a lot on like a jib or a steady cam or something right. that just really wants to get a big wide high and wide shot sometimes or just yeah, up exactly. close but wide yeah yeah so, most steady cams are and, uh, the wider the lens is um the more stable it's going to look in general so a wide angle lens is a constructed differently than a normal what do you call a normal lens if you call a wide angle a wide angle like is it just a lens a standard like in, in standard. The engineering okay. broadcast would be a standard lens yeah okay um, and the wide angle is constructed differently to uh have more field of view in less yeah distance? so at, at its widest zoom it has a much wider field of view okay Again, because that's what that millimeter number is. It's it's referring to how much how much what will what will what will your field of view be? And so wide angle lenses, because they start so much wider, don't generally zoom in as much as yeah. standard or telephoto lenses. Because um, I think it's just the way the the physics and the optics work. Like if you want to start that wide, you can't. Well, you don't have enough zoom in as much because then you'll start losing quality in in your picture. Yeah, or you add glass, and then it just makes it much bigger and yeah. bulkier in size. All right, so you mentioned telephoto. That is a opposite of a wide angle, right? Yep. So telephoto or super telephoto is all about... So in broadcast world, that would be a box lens, most likely. It doesn't have to be. They make There are some uh, portable lenses that can get a good bit of zoom, but um, most people probably think of a box lens. When you're thinking about telephoto. So this would be the lenses that at a football game where they're shooting all the way across the field or really like, I mean, golf is a great example. They'll be 400, 500 yards away mm. and you can see the dimples on a golf ball kind of thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, so yeah, telephoto, super telephoto just refers to, this is a lens that at its widest isn't going to get super wide, um, but it has a ton of zoom in it. So in, in practice, yeah. So in practical, like, if you are, uh, let's say you're 50 feet from your stage where your camera is, um, you can, you're not going to use a wide angle lens there because you're not going to get tight enough. Probably. It depends on what you want to, what you're trying to capture with that. But this, if this is like your main, like tight follow tripod camera, then yeah, you're okay. probably going to want, um, more not a telephoto a te lens. Oh, you would want a telephoto rather than a standard. I think it depends on how tight you want to get. Okay. It really, yeah, it just depends on. I mean, I don't know. I'm not off right? my head right now. What 50 feet away would be. Yes. So I use there's a couple apps I use. Maybe now's a good good time to say this. Um, there's an iPhone app called PCAM, P C A M, that is super great because you can you put in what camera you have. Because the other part of this equation is, I, mean, I guess every broadcast camera, well, almost every broadcast camera has the same sensor size, a two thirds inch sensor. Um, but every cinema camera, you have all kinds of different sensor sizes. And so the, the size of your sensor will change how a, let's just pick, pick that same number, 55, a 50 millimeter lens will look different on different sensor sizes. Okay. So a 50 millimeter lens on a, uh, you know, full frame DSLR, that's what, the, that 50 millimeter is what standard 50, 50 millimeter is. But every time you get a camera with a smaller sensor, so a Super 35 uh, camera, like a lot of the cinema cameras we use in live production are, 
or that's a smaller than a full frame sensor. So a 50 millimeters is going to look tighter on a Super 35. And then 50 millimeters on a two-thirds inch broadcast camera is going to look even tighter than that. So 50 millimeters does not look the same across all cam cameras because the sensor size changes. So this app PCAM, um, you can tell it what sensor size you're using. Then you can tell it how far away you are from your subject. And then you can use, you can figure out how many, what kind of zoom range do I need? So you can type in millimeters, like what is a 30, 300 millimeter going to look like? It'll show you like, oh, this will be a waist up shot on a normal size human mm. being. So I use that kind of stuff a ton to try to figure out what is the right kind of lensing. And then another one that I love a lot is called Artemis. And it actually uses the camera lens in the iPhone. So I just, you know, it, you, you open it up, tell it what kind of camera you're using, and then you can hold your camera up like you're taking a picture. And then you can see what would a 25 millimeter look like? What would a 50 millimeter look oh. like? So on, so on, and so on. That's cool. Um, so you don't have to, it takes all the guesswork out. Like, because there are probably equations you can do to figure out what your field of view would be, but um, those apps are super, super helpful. So, Rusty, I remember you talking about this uh, back last year when you were figuring out camera plots for Passion. So, what what did you end up doing for your one and two tight shot being a million miles away from the main stage? Where did you end up landing on that? Did you do box lenses for that? You know, how does how did that work out? Yeah, so that we were in Mercedes Benz, which is a football stadium. And I don't remember. Yeah, I think like the cameras, the front of house camera positions were essentially like 80 yards away from the main stage. There's a big thrust that came out in the middle of the, of the field. But if there's anything happening on the main stage, they're like 80 yards away, which is a long, long, long way, especially for someone to follow a speaker. Um, and at first, we were trying to go cinematic. And this is a, there's a huge challenge if you're that far away and you want to go to cinematic cameras and you, how do you get enough lens to zoom that far? Because again, the cinematic camera has a larger sensor. So every lens you put on it has a wider field of view. Uh, so we looked at a few options. There's not a ton of options out there currently for like super telephoto cinematic lenses. Canon has one that's a 50 millimeter to 1000 millimeter. Um, but in the end, we ended up having to go with broadcast cameras um, for a lot of different reasons. And it's probably the best, it's a better option when you're that far away to go with a broadcast camera because you can get a wider range of zoom lenses to to be able to go that far. Um, and we ended up, yeah, we ended up going with box lenses. I can't remember the exact number. I was trying to, I don't know if I can pull it up anywhere to see it, but it was something like a 70 by maybe. Um, I think we had 72 by lenses, which allowed us to, you know, to push all the way, all the way 80 yards away and get a decent shot. And you can also, a lot of broadcast lenses have extenders in them, which is essentially a piece of glass inside the lens that you can enable and it will slide into the, um, it slides into the, in front of the sensor and makes it like a 2X magnifier. So all of a sudden the 700 millimeter becomes 1400 millimeters uh, if you need to get that much farther so so uh when do we start talking about light because i know in that extender conversation yeah. anytime that happens the image gets darker uh so because that's part of this whole lens discussion is light right yeah so and and uh depth of field so those are the two things that like okay let me back how, up real how, quick okay 
and finish because I, what I, I mentioned that cinema lenses are different than broadcast lenses in this whole yeah. millimeter discussion. Yeah. Um, and so in cinema world, you don't usually talk about a lens being a 20 by you talk about the actual number. So this is the 70 to 200 yeah. and that's like 70 dash 200 millimeters or, um, a very common one is that there's a 24 to 70 that is really common. Um, 16 to 35. There's a lot of these different like common lenses that really came from film and also photography world that we all use now in live video production. Um, and then there's also new, newer range, newer series of like cinema broadcast lenses that have built-in servo zooms that make it work like a broadcast lens. But um, Canon and Fujinon probably make the most common ones of those. And you would get like a standard one would be a 17 to 120 or 20 to 120. So you you get way less zoom range in a cinema broadcast than you do a sorry cinema lens than you do a broadcast lens. But what you get is higher quality glass. You get a lens that can cover a full frame or a super 35 size sensor. Um, because if you were to put a beef, if you were to put a broadcast lens on a cinema camera, it would not it would not bend the light enough to fill the sensor. Does that make sense? Okay. You yeah, would so end that, up having like a big vignette with a picture in the middle. So in so order to put a the lens is built for that two thirds inch sensor. Right. Because all the lens is doing it's it's receiving a bunch of light rays and it's having to bend that to fit onto a canvas, basically. Okay. A sensor. And so yeah, broadcast lenses are made to fit a smaller sensor. So if you were to put a broadcast lens on a cinema camera, you need to put a piece of glass in line to redirect those light rays to fill a bigger sensor. And that's where Which the adapter, what, yeah, mm-hmm. adapters do that. Um, and what those end up doing is cause a lot. A, anytime you add a piece of glass between the sensor and what you're capturing, you're losing light. There's no, there's nothing that can you know transmit uh, the light through without any kind of loss of 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 light. So, so um, the sensor is like that. The thing is, like, the, what I'm hearing is for a lot of churches probably that are about to or wanting to go from their broadcast cameras to a cinema camera is more than anything. You need to shop and do your homework on your lenses as much as you do the type of camera you want to buy. Cause with a broadcast camera and a broadcast lens, you just buy a standard lens and it'll cover 90% of your room. Right. But what I'm hearing you saying now is you buy these cinema cameras and you need to know where your camera is going to be almost all the time say your handhelds or your tight shots and you need to pick the lens that goes with that and covers that application almost all the time because totally. it sounds like you could get whatever lens but it's you're losing you would be losing some of the benefit of having a cinema style camera if you didn't pick the right lens totally in film world like people off you start, people always say, invest in glass, not in cameras, mm. because like if you if you're out shooting, fe- you know feature films or whatever documentaries, it's the glass is really expensive, and the glass is what it really was what makes your shot look can look you know look good or bad. So, um, and lenses can be interchangeable in lots of different cameras. So, I would say yeah, that kind of holds true in live production cinema world as well. You have to really know. Like what are the what are the use cases of this camera, and can I find a lens that will cover all those use cases? Probably not, because broadcast lenses are just more like a Swiss Army knife. They are, you know, they're used to go out in the field and to capture whatever that 
photojournalist needs to capture that day. Um, so there's a huge range of what you can do. Now there's downsides to that. Like they generally are darker. They have a wider depth of field, so you can't get that look. That's that you know that cinematic look out of them as easily. But yeah, I totally have to know what where do you want this camera to go. What lens do you need to get in order to make that that camera position work? So cinematic is all the cr- uh, craze now, and um, uh, the episode after this, we're going to talk about frame rates, um, which I'm excited about. So a lot of people think 24p is what you need for a cinematic uh, look, but talk to us about what what creates this shallow depth of field in the cinematic world when, in contrast to broadcast, where it's like not shallow depth of field. You know, where like what makes it different yep. in those lenses? So there's a couple things that affect your depth of field. And one of them is sensor size. It's probably the biggest thing. Mm, okay. So, again, the larger the sensor in the camera, the shallower uh, depth of field that you can achieve. So that's why cinema cameras that have a larger sensor, a Super 35 sensor in them, are going to, just by nature, have a shallower look to them than broadcast lenses, which, which have a two-thirds inch sensor. Um and then the, with, when it comes to the lens, the next thing you want to look at is, well, there's two parts of the lens. The more that you, the more like zoom you have, the more you zoom in, the, the shallower your focus plane is going to get. Okay. Um, and it's really, I don't know how to, 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 how to explain this on a podcast, which I guess shows that I'm not an expert. What do they say? You have to be able to explain it to a child if you're an expert. Um, <laughs> I just visually know how this works. Like again, the way that a camera receives light input is there's a bunch of light rays coming in, and then it it bends the light to hit the sensor. Well, if you are um, if you're bending the light more to fill a large sensor, then if you were to think about a V, like at some point those light rays have to come to a point, and that's where you that's where your focus is. That mm. probably doesn't make sense, but anyway. If it if uh if you turn a V on its side, yep, the like a greater a greater than or less a greater than, than sign, yeah, yeah. Yep, the okay. wider that angle, um, the more extreme those two lines are coming to a point, then where that point is is where your focus is, and then there's a range in front of that and behind it that is close enough to being in focus that it is that it's still in focus. Okay. So if you take that greater than sign and you shrink the angle. Uh, then the area in front and behind the the v the point of the v is uh, those lines are closer together, and so then you have a wider area of focus. So Got forget it. all that. Let's go back to aperture. Aperture <laughs> and lens is the actually important part about what all makes right. something shallower or not. Um, so the other number that you'll see on a lens a lot is commission in a couple of different ways, but the most common way is like f two point eight or f five. Or there might be a range like f2.8 dash f3.5 or something like that. And what that is referring to is how fast the lens is, and meaning how wide is the aperture uh, at its widest. Zoom lenses generally um, aren't as wide as prime lenses. So prime lenses means they have they cannot zoom at all. So a 50 millimeter lens that cannot zoom is, is a prime lens. A zoom lens will have some sort of range of how many millimeters. So prime lenses can be super wide, like f1.8 or 1.2 or something like that. And those can get really shallow uh, looks on them. Uh, 
So that number, 2.8 or whatever it is, refers to um, the actual aperture ring inside the lens that is controlling how much light comes through to hit the camera. So if you're in broadcast world, you're shading. This is what the little uh, paddles on the shader are doing. They're opening and closing the iris to allow more or less light in. The more light that you allow in, the lower that number will be. So f2.8, f1, whatever. And that also means that there's more light coming in. So uh, you'll have a shallower depth of field. Okay. So when you want to consider, if you want to get a really shallow look, you would go with a bigger sensor and you would go with a really fast lens. So something like a 2.8 or even faster. And that's going to ha- help you get that really shallow look. But what that also means is that you have a really shallow depth of field. So it's really hard to focus. Yep. Um, so you need very, you need good tools to help you find focus, good monitors, good focus speaking tools. Um, and also like if you were to go on set in Hollywood, they will rehearse a scene, you know, as many times as they need to for the first AC. That's the person on set who's actually pulling focus. His one job or his main job is to pull focus. He's like setting all the marks on the camera of where, you know, when the talent hits position A, I need to be at this focus plane. When the talent moves to position B, I'm going to rotate the focus to five feet away from me or whatever. And they're setting all those marks because it literally is that shallow and that critical to hit the focus. Yeah. On a broadcast lens, you don't have to do that as much because your focus plane is so much wider that someone could walk um, walk forward or backwards and remain in focus much more easily than someone on a cinematic lens. Yeah. The way I like to describe it in the, for broadcast folks is like comes from a newsroom background, like where you want the whole news set to be in focus. Yeah. So you want the person, the background, the whole, all of the things to be in focus. So they're designed for that purpose to make that happen um it's interesting i didn't realize that whole ac some i I knew somebody was pulling focus but now i see the challenges of bringing cinematic into live production where it's like okay you take a music video right and recording a music video is take after take after, after take to get that focus correct and we're essentially trying to capture that live so that's why it's very complicated um so yeah definitely to make happen because those cameras are and systems are built to well to execute it at, at a level that you see you know in an edited world right uh, takes rep after rep after rep to get it right mm-hmm. and we're gonna go okay and let's go let's get hey, it right hey, volunteer get it right on your first chance right right now and i think that's something people for sure also need to consider from going from a broadcast camera to a cinema camera is your ops will completely have to retrain themselves in on pulling focus because of the increased difficulty that it is when you go to that style lens. Yeah. And I would always advise people. Well, one, I would advise them in all that, like here are the dangers of cinematic. And I would also tell people, I would encourage people, Hey, once you get this, do not live at F 2.8. You're going to want to, like, I remember I guess it was probably 10 years ago now. I don't know. Whenever the 5D Mark II, it was, it was a Canon's flagship DSLR camera came out and they could do video. This was like the first time you could actually have a full frame sensor do video uh, without spending a ton, 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 you know, ton of money. And so all these people, all these like amateur filmmakers had this, could get this camera for a couple thousand dollars and put these F1.2 lenses on them. And everybody was shooting this video, uh, shooting all these videos that were like incredibly beautiful. 
the sh- but they were running them at f1.2 and so everything was so out of focus but you know everybody was all the craze was all oh, look at the bokeh look at others look how be- cinematic this can look but for a while there it felt like everything was just you know how like whenever something new like that comes out you just kind of rush to the extreme everybody was shooting as wide open and as shallow as they could um and then it took a few years for people to realize like hey wait a minute like hollywood doesn't even shoot that wide open yeah you know like you go go watch movies like they're not they're not so out of focus that you can't see the background right they're living more in that f4 f5 world um so you have some context of what what what, what kind of scene setting they're in um so anyway there was like this shift that happened in 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 videographer world where everybody everybody rushed to the to the extreme because it was new and it was fun and it was the craze and everybody kind of kind of mediated i came back to the middle and realized like hey there's there are there is a good area to land in that's i can actually keep things in focus and make it look right and so that's what you know as we've at at passion city church have 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 two years now of cinematic cameras we've kind of gone through those motions too like we know when to push the envelope to go super shallow and when not to um because the goal isn't to be shallow the goal is to tell the story well of what's happening on stage and so i got to use my tools the best i can to help tell that story Yep. So, all right. So the next, I have one thing about light. So the extender, when you put the extender in, in a broadcast uh, box camera or, or engineering camera, it cuts the light, which it allows you to zoom further, which means it's going to absorb more light, which means you got to crank your iris up. Am I saying all that correctly? So, uh, yes. Extender means you got to make it brighter via iris or via gain. Right. So, right. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, so that's the extender world. Extender is not an option in cinema lenses. I'm assuming some of them it's okay. becoming more so. Okay. But in, mo- in most of them, it's not. Um, but there are a few out there now that have an extender. Okay. Um, and then the next thing that we really haven't talked about is mounting options. And then these adapter scenarios. So there's an adapter to go from a, um, cinema camera to a broadcast lens. You know, so therefore you're make bending the light, as you said. And then there, every camera manufacturer has a different mounting option. So I'm like, I get confused with the whole mounts. There's B4. There's, yep. um, I mean, Canon even came out with a new one. There's Micro Four Thirds. Like, what? Do, what do we need to know about all these mounting options? Yeah. So it's again one of the benefits of broadcast camera world is that they've been used for a long time and like everything in broadcast had to be standardized so that all newsrooms were the same all you know stations were the same and so um in the same way that like sdi is standardized and simpty fiber is standardized and so on and so on and so on lenses were more or less standardized so that every camera manufacturer that makes a broadcast lens broadcast camera or lens uses a b4 mount for the most part. So you can go get a Canon or Fuji or whatever broadcast lens and put it on a Sony camera or a Hitachi camera or whatever, because they all have B4 mounts on them. And that's for a two-thirds inch sensor. Correct, for, for a two-thirds okay. inch sensor. Um, and then the opposite, it, for, for the cinema film world, it's the opposite. Every manufacturer makes their own mount for lenses and for cameras. So Canon for example, releases all of their DSLRs, and then they end up making cinema cameras based off the DSLR technology. And so they're all using 
their their native mount is mostly EF, which is a Canon mount that they've developed and has been around for years. Um, Nikon has their own mount for all of their DSLR cameras. Sony has their own mount. Uh, Panasonic uses the Micro Four Thirds mount for a lot of their cinema stuff. So it's a lot trickier in that world, um, and that's where a lot of the confusion comes from uh, because it's not standardized as much. But you can get mounts to adapt almost all of those to something else. Um, there is one mount in in like film world that is probably the most standardized and accepted, and it's called PL. Uh, and it's I think I think okay. Ari, I've, yeah, probably I've heard, heard that. that. Yeah, I think Ari made that mount, uh, and that that is like the you know like the baseline for cinema world, especially in the higher end productions. They're mostly mostly using PL mount lenses, um, and it's really. It's it's a better mount because it's such a secure mount. It can hold a lot more weight. It like you lock that thing in there and it it's not going anywhere. Whereas like Canon made the EF mount and they really made it for DSLRs and and photo lenses, where you needed to change camera change mounts or change lenses a lot in a quick, you know, quickly. So it's not a super robust mount as far as like how much uh, you know how rigid it is. Um, but like for a lot of cinema lenses, you can get. A PL mount version of it, or you can get an EF mount version of it, or you can get a Sony, um, I think it's an F mount version of that one. And you can get them with those mounts, or you can get them with a different mount and then convert it to whatever you have. Uh, but it's a little more confusing for sure. Okay. So it goes all the way back to the sensor size and then what lens is built for what lens is built for what sensor size. And then you can figure out if you need an adapter from there, right? So well, like, sort of. You definitely, yeah. Lenses def- are definitely built for certain sensors. Okay. Um, so, like, if you're in cinema world, most cinematic, uh, like live production lenses, I think, are only really built for Super Thirty Five. Some there's some newer newer ones out now that will cover a full frame sensor, but that is different than the mount. The mount doesn't really necessarily. I guess sometimes it does, but it doesn't always correlate to what sensor okay. it can cover. Because I can go get a Canon full-frame camera or a Super 35 camera, and they both be EF mounts. Okay. So does photography lenses – Do you, when you say cinematic lenses, is that the same as saying photography lenses? Pro, uh, I guess, like, practically for our audience, it kind of is. Okay. Cause like that's, you can, I can go on B and H or whatever and just, I can look up lens and like when I see a lens is, and it's got the right specs from a zoom standpoint, like, can I just go buy that? And if it's got the right mounting connection, I can just use it. Or is there lenses built for photography versus video? Or- yeah. So there definitely are lenses built more with photographers in mind and then okay. with video in mind. Okay. But like we use some photography style lenses for some of our handheld stuff. Okay. Because uh, they're smaller, they're lightweight, and they do what I need them, you know, everything I need them to do. But some of the biggest differences are like a lot of photography lenses, there's no external aperture ring. So like it's it's all electronic communication between the camera and the lens. So if you wanted to reach up and manually change your iris on the lens, you can't because it doesn't exist. Okay. Um, and probably the other big thing. The difference in the two would be what's called called parfocal. I think, I think probably a lot of people don't know the word parfocal, but they know what it does. So when you're training camera operators in broadcast world, you can you teach them right, hey, zoom all the way in, get your focus, and then zoom out and get your framing. And that way you know your subject will be in focus as you zoom. 
Yep. So the ability to zoom in and out and not have your focused plane shift is called parfocal. And that's Got only it. on a video, professional video lens. Photography lenses, zoom lenses, um, every time you change the zoom, if you rotate the zoom ring, your focus is changing. Oh, did not know that. Yeah. That's great. So you'll know. see a lot of people that were trained in the broadcast world and they'll pick up a, 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 a cinema camera that doesn't have a parfocal lens on it. And I've seen them zoom in, get their focus, and then zoom out, and it's out of focus. Yeah. And they think, well, is the back focus out? No, it's just actually this lens does, cannot do that. It's not built that way. How will I know if it's parfocal or not? Will uh, there be something on the lens that shows me or just by the nature of doing what you just talked about? Uh, I don't know. There's anything, any markings on the lens. Like it would be in okay. the spec sheet, obviously, but okay. really like if a lens, if a lens can have a servo on it and a servo is a mechanical uh, motor that smoothly zooms, right. Or focuses. Yep. If it has the ability to have a servo on it, then it has to be part focal. Because okay. you wouldn't want to do any kind of zooms like that without. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're deep into it now and we've spent a lot of time here. Um, I think we could go even more, but uh, I, I took some notes. So hopefully I think I can at least talk a little bit more intelligently and not like a big dummy and not have to pretend. Uh, Zach, you got any like things, questions that maybe, Rusty didn't answer for you or outstanding? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think the biggest thing that always could would confuse me, still does confuse me, was the the mounting options question. Um, but that's uh I think I feel like we did a good job of clarifying that that. Um yeah. Yeah. I think what I see the most is in mounting is adapting uh from like a Veracam to a box lens or a Veracam to a broadcast style lens because of how far you know the cameras right. are, are mm -hmm. back and there's no cinematic lens that gets you that zoom length so that's and I, the and if i would well what i would tell someone who's looking at that is you should shoot that out put make yeah. build that rig with the cinema camera with the b4 lens on it next to a broadcast camera with a b4 lens on it and like are you really gonna is there really any benefit in doing that? Because um, you have a lot of light loss. You're going to have, it's probably just not going to be super sharp because you're shooting through more glass and mm. an adapter and you're bending the light multiple different ways. Um, and yeah, and it's, I, what is the point at that point? Because you're really, you're, you're not as shallow as you as you probably want to be anyway because right. you're, you're yeah. adapting the lens so much. What I've been picking up on is, in my world, I think about like when you're doing a lot of cross conversion or uh, blowing yep. up pixels, you can you can't duplicate the pixels, right? You're just going to make them bigger, and it then you start making the image look worse. So it sounds like the same with light. So as you start amplifying and shaping and bending light and putting glass, your it's going to get dirty from there, right? Like you're you're never going to clean it up. You're just going to continue to amplify it, and you know, at some point when you adapt it and through glass, it's going to look worse and worse. So yeah. that's how I think about it: is the pick in the pixel thing, you know. That's also like some. I've heard people say like you can put S. So you can when you go look at lenses, they'll they'll be categorized as SD, HD, or UHD. Okay, which is kind of interesting because there's actually nothing in there that's like, you know, oh, this is a right. 1080p signal. Like there's no signal. It's just 
the glass isn't all it is is glass right. um but if you put an sd so i've heard people say like you can put sd glass on hd cameras and you can't tell the difference i think that's bull and then you can definitely okay. start to tell the clarity there's just a difference in clarity and the resolving power of the lens so like when when lens manufacturers are making lenses for sd cameras they were building them to spec for an sd camera yeah and then when hd cameras came out they had to rebuild them with new optics and better quality glass so that by the time the the light gets to the sensor it hasn't been you know obstructed so much that it starts to lose its clarity and its vibrance and all that uh, and same now for uhd so yeah that's another another aspect of this whole thing yeah got it so you're you're of the mind of like hey hd and uhd glass matters if you're yeah. going to be in that system i haven't seen a lot of like ab of hd versus uhd okay um and it probably all that depends on how big are you blowing it up yeah what is it you know if you're going to output it at 1080 anyway then it probably doesn't matter but right um yeah there's is something to be considered for sure okay um i think that's has has that has clarified it for me i think uh can we walk through just real quick like in five minutes or less like okay a church is looking at getting cameras and lenses um how far in your opinion how far away should their main camera okay they're going to do like a tight follow and maybe a head to toe or something they're going to do two cameras on a tripod so if they're looking at that setup what lens should they be looking at like um you know, in broadcast, you mentioned there's a 20 to 120 or a 70 to 200 in cinematic. Like, where should give them a little bit of direction? Because, like, the goal is, I mean, we can start with like how many feet from stage, you know, like what's we're talking about 20 feet or 50 feet, 100 feet. Like, what, what are, what do you see churches doing or what, what would you recommend a distance be? I don't know that I would recommend a distance. I mean, like that's just architectural. You have to put a okay. camera where it makes sense in the room. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough question. Okay. But if we were to, so I'm gonna, I'm using my app here, PCAM. Let's say we were, I don't know, 50 feet away. Does that sound like a good safe number? Yeah. You say yeah. So. yeah, five zero. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this is a two-thirds inch camera, so a broadcast camera. At its widest, let's say that my lens is 8.5 millimeters. So that tells me my field of view is my, the vertical height of my camera shot is 31 feet. So that's probably, I can get the full stage with maybe some lights in the top of the frame if I wanted like a full stage shot. Mm. But then let's say it's a 20 by lens. So 20 times 8.5 is 170. So that's my 170 millimeters would be my all the way zoomed in. And that gives me one feet, seven inches of vertical height. So that would be basically from the top of my head to like armpits. Yeah. You know, so like yep. you, I would, I would say, Hey, is, is that tight enough? Yeah. Probably for most since that's, that's probably going to be tight enough for most cases. If yep. you ever needed to get tighter, you could pop in the extender. If like pastor has like a prop that he wants you to see the words on. Right. Right. You just pop it in for that one thing. Cause you don't need to live there most of yep. the time. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that would be a essentially an 8.5 to 170 millimeter broadcast lens. Okay. 20 by. Yeah. Okay. Rough numbers. Now, if yep. I were to turn that camera into a cinematic camera, 
Super 35 at 50 feet away. My 170 millimeters is now four feet tall. Okay. So my tight shot is now top of their head to their knees, you know, or like right above their knees. So way different. That's not tight enough, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to need to figure out um, like 300 millimeters would give you just over two feet of height. Maybe that's tight enough. Maybe not. Yeah, but uh, what's what's the widest at that point though, right? So if you yeah, yeah, so usually twenty five millimeters. The the current lenses that are out there now would be like twenty five to three hundred. Okay. Um. So at twenty five millimeters, you've only got twenty five feet of height, which is probably not going to get your full stage. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah. difficult in cinematic camera world to get a lens that can show your full stage and also tight enough. So that's why, like, most of my setups, I have to have one of each. I have one camera that's dedicated for wide shots, one camera that's dedicated for tight shots. Okay. Yeah, I'm used to that. So I used to, like, my camera two would be the head-to-toe, like, at at its tightest would maybe waist high, you know, head-to-waist at its tightest, which means then I can zoom out and see the whole stage, like, in the tight shot, the at its wide, the tight camera would be at its widest, maybe see two people head to toe. I don't know, you know, something like that, but it can zoom in a lot. Yeah. So, so to get that same on the broadcast camera was a hundred and whatever, 170 millimeters. You have to go to like 375 millimeters to get a similar shot on a super 35 cinematic camera. Okay. Um, so it just kind of helps you understand like what the challenges are. Yeah. Not a lot of lens options for lens options for that. Um, is there other MXU videos that, um, I know you've recorded some, there's some, uh, MXU videos that people can jump into, uh, create a playlist or look, look for a playlist and all that stuff. There are. Yeah. We filmed a few, um, back at elevation, uh, a little while ago. So there's some lenses. There's some that talk about like, basically like what is a lens? What are the different anatomy? You know, what's what's the anatomy of a lens, some differences in broadcast versus cinema lenses. And then, um, a discussion about how to choose the right lens. A lot of the same stuff we've talked about, but it might be yeah. better to visually see it. Right. So yeah, yeah. I think they're under the um, camera basics yeah. and the MXU library. So check it out. Yeah. I know it's always good to have your volunteers understand it as well so that when they show up and they understand, okay, why, yeah. why did, when I put the extender in, did it get dark and everybody, the shader person screaming at me now, like understanding right. that concept. So yeah, real, my last training that I did at Passion was all that. It was I had the whole camera team in and it wasn't anything about how to run the camera. It was, hey, I want you guys to understand everything we just talked about, what the millimeters yep. mean, what the aperture means, yep. why we want it to be a certain way and what's happening. And I think it like opened people's eyes. That's cool. Help them understand why yep. we do it and how it, how it works. Yep. That's great. So um, just to kind of set the table for our next conversation, we talk about uh, the, the episode following this one. We're going to talk about frame rates. Um, and it's really exciting because I having this lens conversation and then jumping into frame rates, I hear everybody always want to do 24p and they say, I want to do cinematic. So I want to do 24p. And what's wildly fascinating about frame rates is that 24p is only a piece of the discussion. Obviously we just talked for, I don't know, 50 minutes or more right now about what a cinematic look is. And we didn't even talk about frame rates. So that's true. Um, so it's going to be a fun discussion about frame rates. Um, so, Rusty, thanks for your expertise, and um, it'll be fun to... Thanks for letting me ramble for a long time about lenses. I love it. That was great. It's yeah. great. And you are an expert, by the way. Uh, until next time, have a good week. 
See you guys. See ya. See ya. If you've seen or heard anything from MXU, you've probably gathered that we care deeply about helping you create healthy teams. We know that you have a lot on your shoulders, but you don't have to bear it all alone. MXU can come alongside you to help you recruit volunteers and bring them on board in a healthy way. With our platforms, you gain back valuable ministry time as we take over the bulk of training from entry level to advanced concepts in audio, video, and lighting. Keeping your team healthy should be a priority at any church, and a healthier team means a healthier you. Start building a healthy team at getmxu.com.